So if in the middle of Waco, Texas, you can have um, every 90 seconds a new wave for you to surf, um, that actually, and guaranteed that the wave is going to come, that got me thinking that in many ways, um, it's like the church. Because in the church, many leaders are creating waves. And if you, you don't follow as many varieties of churches or as many movements within the church as I do, but you can make a wave start at 9.20 in the morning, and you have the wave peak at 9.30 in the morning, and by 9.50 you can have the wave actually begin to down so that the kids can go out to children's church. And then the teaching comes, and you can create another wave of the Spirit. Um, pastors and leaders create waves, and everyone can have a blast. So what happens is we create the wave so that you can have an emotion that you can feel what you believe to be the presence of God, but in reality, it is just an emotion. It's a good thing to have an emotion, but the emotion does not equal the Holy Spirit. And I remember telling that to somebody who used to attend us when we were on 7th Avenue, that you may be emotional, but you're not feeling the Holy Spirit because it's just your emotions. That didn't go over well. When human people, when people create waves like this, then when the service is all over, people actually walk away and say, wow, God moved there. When in reality, God did not. It was a man-made wave. In one of the towns that I work, um, the leader or the pastor advertises on Friday nights a revival meeting every Friday night. And he suggests that you can come and have the Holy Spirit cookies and coffee. I'm not sure what order they're supposed to come in. Um, but what he's having is man-made revival meetings. Now, every Saturday night, he holds another meeting, and he has a different name for it, but it's exactly the same thing. He is making a man-made wave of what he's calling the Spirit. And so um, revivals are something we totally misunderstand. You can't make a revival happen. You cannot make a wave of the Spirit happen. God initiates revivals. And in the Bible, God called the people to come back to him. He initiates the revival. He initiates the call. And he actually determines the content or the theme of the revival. So a prophet would re preach, repent, and return to God, and the nation of Israel would repent, return to God, and they would be revived. And that would be called a revival. The last recorded revival saw John the Baptist call the nation of Israel to repentance in preparation to welcome the public ministry of their Messiah, Jesus. And again, God initiated the revival. He told them the timing and he gave them the content. It wasn't man-made, it wasn't programmed, and it's not managed. In the churches today, we are managing. We were, Bruce and I were talking earlier today, earlier tonight, about a brochure he saw at a coffee shop, which I also saw, and they actually are managing their service so that it lasts one hour and 15 minutes and they can tell you exactly when it's going to start, exactly when it's going to end, and exactly what happens in between. It's interesting to note that nowhere in the New Testament do you read about revivals. The last revival 
was with John the Baptist. And since the death and the resurrection and the and the birth of the church, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church, there's no record of a revival in the early church. The early church lived in radical obedience. And when you live in radical obedience to the word of the Lord, you don't need a revival. Revival means you're reviving something that was once alive and is now either dead or almost dead, and you're breathing new life into it. And we don't need a revival because we have new life. It was released in us when we were born again, and we don't need to revive it because we are new creatures in Christ, and the life of God is within us. So once the church was formed, revivals stopped, biblically. Not in the history of the church, but biblically. Revival meetings scheduled by leaders are a man-made event. Sometimes God honors it and shows up, and sometimes God doesn't honor it and doesn't show up. The revivals that are being held um, are geared to bring new people into the church and new people into the kingdom, which was never the purpose of any Bible revival. Revivals in the Bible were always to call the people of God back to God. It wasn't to call pagans to come into the presence of God. It was to call the people of God back to the God that they once worshipped. And so current man-made revivals have this focus on the unsaved, which is not biblical. And the wave is man-made. So, if you're watching Facebook, you will, especially with some of the people I follow, you will see that we have people praying for revival. And we have one that we actually, I relate to closely, they actually have announced on their Facebook page that revival is here and now and happening. It isn't. We have people praying for a new move of the Holy Spirit, as if there's no current move of the Holy Spirit. I'm quite comfortable with the move of the Spirit we're in. I don't, you know, but they think he's not moving. So they're praying for a move of the Spirit. We have people praying for a great harvest of souls because that's what they think revival is. The people who are praying for a great revival, the harvest of souls, never share their faith. And we have people doing everything they can to see a move of the Spirit instead of simply focusing on Jesus and moving as he moves. It's not complicated. So people seem to want the spectacular, they want to be involved in something supernatural. They want to experience the presence of God. They want to witness the power of God at work. And they want to see something exciting and dynamic happen. And so the church is working so hard at creating a wave of the Spirit. But if they do, it'll be a man-made wave. God may honor it, but God may not. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of man-made waves. I've been in many of them. I've created a few of my own. So I've given up on trying to make new waves. So that's why we don't do things like that. And we don't advertise things like that. And we don't go to things like that. I want to see God do something that only he can do. And that nobody needs to make it up. Program it. Or make it happen. I want to watch his hand move and say, There's no way I could have made that happen. That wave is a God wave. So I just recently read of a young man who's out sharing the gospel of the kingdom and he's ministering one of the areas that I work in and he entered this little village. I, I could tell you the name, but I can't pronounce it. Um, and he met a 60-year-old woman who had been blind since birth. 
and he began to pray for that blind lady. And as he was praying, she began to scream that she could see. So all she kept saying in Russian was, I can see, I can see, I can see, I can see. And so she ran out into the village and told everybody that she could see and they knew that she was blind from birth. And so the whole village came to the young man and his team, which allowed them then to present the gospel. And there was no way any man could have programmed that. That's not a man-made wave of the Spirit. You don't make that happen. You don't plan it and you don't schedule it. It's an encounter that's sovereignly moved by God. So I'm convinced that as long as we're okay with being in the wave pool, creating a bit of excitement, creating a bit of emotion, programming things, that we're not going to see the things that happened in the scriptures. And that we have to stop doing things so that God can start doing things. And as long as we're doing man-made waves of the Spirit, we're doing emotion things, that God is not going to interrupt us. So I believe there's two major reasons why we tend to stay in the wave pool, why we tend to stay looking for the next emotional high, the next emotional event, the next program that may do something super or spectacular. Just two reasons. Number one, and you're going to need to look up Hebrews chapter 12. The first reason we stay in the wave pool and don't relax and let God create the next wave is that we don't realize who our God is. We don't honestly realize who our God is. Hebrews chapter 12. When you think of God, when I think of God, we have been geared to think of him as our heavenly father. And he is. That's good. Jesus revealed God to us as our loving and caring heavenly father. That was a new revelation when Jesus began to preach. The Jews did not understand that God was a father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. So Jesus was saying, if you look at the way I live and what I teach and how I, how I relate, then you have a complete revelation of who God the Father is. But the God that Jesus was revealing to us is the same God who is also revealed in the Old Testament. We didn't switch gods. So maybe we need to widen our picture or our understanding of our Heavenly Father. We need to realize um, and grab hold of the bigger picture of who our God really is. So in the book of Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews, author unknown, chapter 12, we are given a description of God that I doubt anybody here thinks about when we say the word God or when we pray to our Heavenly Father. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, 19, and then 21. Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Verse 21. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So when you pray... Do you picture yourself praying to a blazing fire? I don't. Do you picture yourself praying to a tempest? I don't. 
When you pray, do you think about the innumerable angels gathering around the blazing fire? I don't. Look at verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Scripture says that this God we worship cannot be touched. Moses said, I'm trembling with fear right now. I'm going to go up the mountain to talk to that, referring to God. So if we're in a wave pool, we don't picture God the Father like that. We have a Sunday school image of God. He's kind. He's benevolent. He's Santa Clausish. We see him as compassionate, caring, merciful, patient, and he's all of that. But he's also God, the creator, the judge, the ruler, the king, the almighty, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He is awesome, magnificent, holy, and majestic. And we tend to forget the big picture. So we don't get out of the wave pool because we have this smaller image of who God is. And we don't honestly believe he can do these things if we don't help him or program him or move in the things that we know how to do. So for fun of it, while I was looking at all this, I Googled, everybody know what Googling is? I Googled God the Father just to see what would come up on Google. Here's what comes up. Listen to it. It's all good, right? Perfect, worthy, holy, forgiving, patient, Loving, merciful, faithful, kind. I have no problem with any of those, except this is the same God who could, in one word, wipe the planet off the map. This is in one breath, take away everybody's life. The God of mercy and the God of grace is also the God of judgment and God of punishment. And we've narrowed him down, and we have this God that isn't as big as he should be. And therefore, we say, stay in the wave pool and we don't get to experience the true wave of the Spirit. So here's what I'm saying. I think we've lost the fear of God. Moses and the people of God in Hebrews expressed a fear of God. We've even removed the word fear and says, and we've replaced it with the word reverence. We should have a reverence towards God. I agree with that. But there is the word fear that isn't reverence. We should fear God and what he could do. It says terror. Terror, same word. We've lost, in my humble opinion, we've lost respect for God, a respect that the early believers had that we don't anymore. And it seems that we've become too familiar. Okay, So with some of the people I work with, they're always talking about Daddy God. And they get that idea from the word Abba, which means Dad or Daddy. But if you use the word Abba and you say Daddy Father, Daddy God, um, you need to put the word Abba back in its context. In its context, the word Abba meant a reverence for the head of the household, which was the father who sat at the head of the table and controlled the meal that was going on because he is your father. And there was a respect and a reverence and a submission um, towards that person. And when you short it, shorten it up to daddy, it's not there anymore. We're missing that reverence. We're missing that awesomeness, that respect, that submission towards he who is our heavenly father. 
So here's the question. Which God are you thinking about when you pray to him? Is he all warm and fuzzy? Loving and gentle and sweet and kind? Or is so? Is he sitting on a rocking chair with a, a lap blanket welcoming you? Or is he a holy, blazing fire, tempest, a booming voice that shakes the heavens? So Isaiah would say he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. His awesome presence, awesome presence filled the temple. And maybe we have a combination of the two of them. I don't know. So what God do we pray to? What God are we worshiping? So are we worshiping as we understand, like Moses, that our God is a fierce fire, a booming voice? Or do we casually sing, I want to see you, I want to touch you? Ooh. If God is a blazing fire, we really wouldn't want to touch him. Okay, the Bible says that when Jesus prayed, he was heard because of his reverence for the Father. You think about it, you would assume the scriptures would say that Jesus was heard because he was Jesus. He was the Son of God, because God had sent him, and he was totally obedient to God. But instead, the Bible says he was heard because of his reverence. And the word reverence means surrender and submission. The father heard the voice of his son because his son had reverence for his father. He had surrendered to the will of his father and he had submitted his life to his father. And because of that, the father heard his, his prayers. So to come out of the wave pool, number one, we need to realize who our God really is. We need to rediscover what the scripture says and reveals about this God. And we need to understand that it's an honor and a deep privilege to come into his presence. When I was thinking about all this, I was thinking how much I take for granted. Mm -hmm. I take for granted he's going to be there. I take for granted he's going to accept me as I am. I take, it's like I can get up in the morning and I have a take it or leave it decision. I have time, I take it. If I don't have time, I leave it. Well, that's not treating God as God. That's a God of my own creation. This is something awesome we need to understand. We lose sight of what an honor it is to enter into his presence. We become too familiar Maybe in the craziness and the busyness of life, we don't even bother to enter into his presence. I don't know. So I think it's time to come out of the wave pool and stop producing emotional moments that we call a move of the spirit. So that's focus number one. There's a second reason we tend to stay in the wave pool. We don't really grasp what it means to be part of the body of Christ the church. We think this is church. We are the church. So the second reason we don't come out of the wave pool is we don't truly grasp what it means to be a part of the church, the body of Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1.
In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes that God gave us Jesus as the head of the church. So think about this. If Jesus is God, then the head of the church is this all-consuming fire. God, the all-consuming fire, has put everything under Jesus' feet. And that we are part of Christ's body... And that somehow then I am the fullness of him who fills everything. That's not going to make any sense to you for a minute. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22. And God, the Father, this all-consuming fire, put all things under his feet, under the feet of Jesus, and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. So he gave Jesus, who is the head of everything in the universe, he gave Jesus to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the Passion Translation reads, He alone is the leader and the source of everything needed in the church. God has put everything beneath the authority of Jesus Christ and has given him the highest rank above all others. And now we, his church, are his body on the earth and that which fills him who is being filled by it. I'm sorry, you have to really think about this one. Mm -hmm. What it's saying is that we as believers are those who are filled or completed by Christ, and that we also complete him, because we're one body. We are filled by him, and we filled him. Now, that's supposed to be a humbling mystery. I am the fullness of him who fills everything. So let me tell you what all that means. It's mind-blowing if you think about it. I'm part of the church. The church is the body of Christ. I am part of this untouchable fire because the body of Christ is God's people. And we are part of this untouchable fire, part of this tempest that cannot be touched. I have been filled by all of that because God is in me. God is in you. And I am fulfilled by everything that has been put inside of me. And then I am to fulfill the things that God wanted Jesus to do in this on this planet. And I don't think we think of ourselves that way. We think of what we're missing, how unable we are to do things, how inconsistent we are, how sometimes we're not very faithful. We're thinking of ourselves instead of thinking of whose we are. We are the church, and Jesus is the head of the church, and he fills everything that is his, and we fulfill his call. So we have the fullness of Christ in us, that we are the fullness of Christ and we fulfill him. That's the church. And until we grasp the church, then we won't be, we'll, stay, we'll actually stay in the wave pool. We will not see another move of the Spirit. For us to see a move of the Spirit, we have to grab hold of the fullness of God and grab hold of the fact that the church is God's body upon the earth and that he has powerful plans to change the world. So, Ephesians is saying something very special. 
that God has chosen and appointed his church to express the fullness of God in every corner of every culture and every sphere of society. Yeah, that God has chosen and appointed his church to express this fullness of God in every corner of the culture and every sphere of society. So if we have the fullness of God, we are supposed to be spreading that into society, into our culture. I'm afraid what we've done is we've made ourselves a subculture. So we have Christian radio, we have Christian television, we have Christian this, we have Christian that, which means we also have secular radio, secular television. We've created our own movie producing companies. We produce our own radio programming. We're not producing the fullness of Christ in the society and culture in which we live. So there's two major reasons why we stay in the wave pool and we're playing around with man-made waves. We call them revival. We call them whatever you want. We call them um, uh, burn nights. If you're in the States, so they do a lot of burn Ohio, burn Cincinnati, burn you know Moscow. We're doing it overseas now. These are all night prayer things with a lot of worship where the presence of God is supposed to show up and the wave of the Spirit moves through. And it's all man-made. It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It's not even biblical. But we've created these waves because we want the spectacular, we want the supernatural, we want to... Instead of just understanding, one, who the God is that we really worship and how awesome that is, he's not Santa Claus, he's not blessing us just because it's Christmas, And secondly, we need to understand what it really means to be the body of Christ, the church. What is the church? Okay, I'm working with young people in Toronto. And here's the second of two questions they ask. Uh, The first one, and this is perpetual questions. The first one is, um, why should we believe the Bible? It's something man made up and it's been written and rewritten so many times and translated from so many languages that how do you know it's truth? And the second one, and these are people like with four-year four university degrees under their belt. And the second one is, so why the hell do we need the church? Which means they don't understand that they are the church. They're saying, why do we need this organized religion that's creating these man-made programs and these man-made waves of the spirit? And we can get an emotional buzz, but we can get that sitting in a coffee shop. So we need to grasp who God really is and what the church really is. And I think as soon as we do that, and it may take a while, it will change how we live. And it will change how we view church and even how we do church. And then when we let God be the head of the church and realize who exactly he is and who we are, then things will begin to happen. We will have move of the Spirit. You may not see 60-year-old blind people see, but in God's own way, he can move here. Amen? Okay. What I'd like to see is a move of the Spirit, if I can be personal. I would like to see people get truly born again. Because when the Spirit enters someone, you shouldn't have to force them or teach them to get rid of sin in their life. 
when the Spirit really enters somebody when they get born again, you shouldn't have to beg them to get along with God and get to know God better. In other words, read your Bible, pray. When a person really gets born again, a true rebirth, then you shouldn't have to beg people like that to be his witness where they're living. And there should be no need to push people to do something eternal with their life. Sin should not be a constant issue in the life of a true believer. I think we're looking for the spectacular, where in reality what God wants to do is something seriously quieter. And that is a real birth inside his people, where we're going to get serious about sin, serious about witnessing, serious about spending time with him, serious about coming to know Abba Father, because I think he made us for more and for better. I think we've settled for very little of what really is what God's plan is for us. So I see a shift coming in the kingdom, a change in focus. The change in focus will be we're going to get to know God better, not the God of our own creation. And we're going to get to know what the church is all about. And I think the shift is we're going to go from more effort to more Jesus. Uh, let me put that in a biblical way. We're going to go from more flesh to more spirit. We're going to understand that he is king of the kingdom and he's head of the church. And whether you like it or not, we got to get to know him better. Because it's really all about him. And I think we made it all about us in so many ways. And I know we've sung songs about that and... You know, it's not about us. It's about who he is and what he's called us to do for him because we are part of his body. Okay, questions, comments?